Well, if you ever go past a cemetery, driving, riding, walking, or perhaps if you ever visit a grave, visiting a grave, going past a cemetery, says something to you. It's got a message in it, hasn't it? Like you can't help but visit a grave or go past a cemetery and hear a unspoken, in a sense, message. A message that reminds us, reminds you of your limits. It's a reminder, a big billboard that says, you are fragile, life is full of frailty, and it comes to a terminus, it comes to an end. Many of us try to ignore that, we, we go past, perhaps we do go to a funeral, or we visit a grave of a friend or a loved one, and we just, we just don't want to think about that. We'd, we'd rather think about the next thing that's on offer in the world, but we need to just stop and hear that message. Because when it comes to death, there's lots of things we don't like about it. There's lots of things we try and make better in this world, and death is one of them. Death haunts our days. Death means that we're on the clock. We're on the countdown. There is a moment for us all, for you today, that you need to consider one day that we know tomorrow. For you and for me. We say around here, people say, yeah, um, I want to plan my funeral. Russ, I want you to do the funeral. I, in my ministry, do a lot of funerals. But I say to the people, every time someone says that, every time a member of our church says, I want you to do my funeral one day, I say, well, look, here's the deal. I'll do your deal. If I die first, you can do my funeral. Because one day, if I'm here the rest of my life at this church, which I pray I will be, one day, I won't be here, but my body will be here in a casket and they'll roll it out that door, put it in a vehicle, and then you'll all go and have casserole. It's going to happen, isn't it? Like, it's inevitable. The death rate in humanity currently still hovers around 100%. And yet we try and not think about it or ignore it or dress it up or change the narrative. Aside from the medical and scientific aspect of death, there is a huge emotional impact of death. And because it is so big in our lives, we just don't want it to be there. It causes so much pain. Why does death hurt us so much? Because it takes from us. It takes from us our loved ones. It takes from us our dreams. Death is a parasite. It dehumanizes us. It defigures us. It eventually decays our bodies. Death is awful. But you notice what we do in our society? I notice this because I run a lot of funerals. And a lot of funerals, for various reasons, for people who've never given thought to death until they die. They don't give a thought to God. And, and so their, their relatives are left scrambling. What, what would they want for their funeral? Oh, they might want the footy song played at the end. And so they play their favourite footy song as the casket goes out. Friends, if you've ever had a juxtaposition of such weird things put together, it's that. To be standing at a gravesite with tears flowing because I miss this loved one and to hear... Come on, the footy club. It's just, it's just something not... We, we try and do all sorts of things to, to, just to change it. But it's there. It's the haunting elephant in the room and it hurts us. 
Death takes from us. It means we have loss, loss of people we love. And we can't, as much as we try, make that better. We still try. We try and prevent death, don't we? We prolong it, put it off, delay it. But we can't undo it and we can't repurpose it. And I notice in my own family and friends, what do we need in life and death is real, genuine comfort. Not just time will heal. You talk to a loved one who's lost someone even 30, 50 years ago. Time will heal. We need more than that. We need something to hold on to. We need a real hope that this whole curse is going to be reversed. And so today in John 11, here's what we see, and this is where I'm trying to keep it simple, friends. Three things. Firstly, and in all these three things, Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks to our grief. Jesus speaks, sorry, Jesus speaks to our belief. Jesus speaks to our grief. And Jesus speaks for our life. These are the three things you need to hold on to today. Jesus speaks to our belief. Jesus speaks to our grief. And Jesus speaks for our life. Firstly, he speaks to our belief. Or perhaps lack thereof. As you've got John 11 open, you'll see there that the context is there's Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They're a little family. They live together in a home and they're friends with Jesus. And we never hear Lazarus speak, ever. So we don't know, is there, you know, is, is there a reason they live together? They're looking after him or what's going on? Perhaps he was a sickly person. But whatever's going on for Lazarus, these two sisters look after him. They love him. And then he gets really sick. And so they send word to Jesus. We see that in the first few verses. As they send word to Jesus, just like we saw last week in Psalm 46, they know where to get help in trouble. Who is my help in trouble? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, what we need is Jesus to be present. We need Jesus here right now. And so they ask, Jesus, come. But here's what happens, which slightly feels awkward perhaps could feel hurtful at first reading of this episode. Do you notice? Jesus delays. And that provokes a whole lot of questions for his disciples. We've seen him go quickly to anyone who in need and he hears that his friend, his dear friend, his mate Lazarus is so sick he's going to die and what does Jesus do? No, I'm not, I'm not going to go. Not yet. We see in verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, before we entertain the idea that Jesus is too busy, that's not the reason. Look at that verse. Look at verse 4. Jesus is never too busy for you. Sometimes we start to believe that, don't we? Jesus has a big world. How many billion people is it now? Is it seven? Seven billion? He's got a lot to do. Like I thought, no, it's eight, is it? Eight billion. It's getting, the big job's getting bigger. Jesus is too busy for me. That's not because he's too busy. Notice this. Look at verse four. It's also not because he doesn't care. What does he say? I've got a plan. 
This illness does not lead to death. It's for God's glory. And then we see verse 5. Jesus has a plan because Jesus has a plan even for you in trials and suffering, for Martha, for Mary, for Lazarus in trial. Look at this. He loves them, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When you meet Jesus, you can't but help. And in John's Gospel, you'll see in the second half, as we keep hearing Jesus, the big thing you keep seeing in the room when it comes to him relating to you and I, to people, is he loves people. Jesus is not like any other religious guru. He's not like any other man-made God. When you meet Jesus... He loves people dearly and deeply. And because he loves people, everything he does is framed with that intention for their good and for God's glory, for their love, because he loves them. Everything is about him and how he loves people. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now his disciples say, hang on a minute, Jesus. Um, Judea, um, Jerusalem, um, it's kind of a hot spot. People don't like you. Like, they want to stone you. They want to kill you, Jesus. Why would you go there again, Jesus? And they're a little bit confused by this whole scene. But Jesus is doing everything because he loves them and... To speak to their belief. Look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now the disciples think, Well, hang on a minute, Jesus. If he's just asleep, if he's like being sleepy, you know, just sleeping in, if, if it's that kind of sickness that he's kind of maybe even in a coma, we'll he wake up, Jesus. He's going to wake up. We can just go wake him up. He'll recover, they say in verse 12. But Jesus is using sleep in the way that the Bible speaks about sleep. In the Old Testament, New Testament, you can track this, Google it later if you need to, look in your Bibles, but you can look at this. In the Old Testament and New Testament, several times, the Bible speaks about death as falling asleep. For example, 1 Kings chapter 2, David slept with his fathers. Lots of times in the Old Testament, David slept. That doesn't mean that he went and had a sleep with dad and granddad out in the barn. It means he died because we then read they buried him. Um, he's buried in the city of David in that verse. We also read in the New Testament, we're of good courage, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, whether away from, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Right? So there's this idea of death in, and, and we're with God. And, and we also read, in 1 Corinthians 15, that those who have fallen asleep have perished. So the New Testament, Old Testament speaks about death, but also speaks about death as sleep at times. Why? Why does the Bible speak about death like it's sleep? Because running through the Bible is this strong theme of resurrection. You can only talk about death as sleeping if there is one day going to be a great waking up, a resurrection. We read in our cross-reference passage from Psalm 16. That whole psalm is about the resurrection. It's about the risen Jesus first and then how we also, with him, will have life forever. 
will have a resurrection. You can go to the Old Testament, New Testament, Ezekiel 37. It's about a resurrection. Job speaks about a resurrection. And here Jesus again is using that same language. Now because the disciples, although they've read their Bibles, they get it, falling asleep can be a way of speaking about being raised on the last day. But verse 14, Jesus, in his care, has to speak plainly. He turns them and says, Lazarus, look at me, he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. And they're like, what? Why? Because what he says next in verse 15, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. So that you may believe. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is delaying going to Lazarus. He's letting Lazarus die to do something to feed our faith, for our believing, so that we would believe something about who Jesus is. This is the purpose of Jesus, but it's also the purpose statement of John's Gospel. Come on with your Bibles to John chapter 20. Flick over to John 20. In John 20, right at the end of the chapter, you see the purpose statement of this whole book. You see the reason why John writes it. And I want you to see how it dovetails with everything Jesus has done in this episode so far. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See the banner on the sermon banner up up there on the screen? That's the reason for this book. This whole book is written for you to believe who Jesus is. And not just believe and know something or trust in someone, but to have life in his name. This is the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. It's seen all throughout John, isn't it, really? And as Jesus does this, as Jesus delays and yet goes, he speaks for our belief. Belief is a profound word in the Bible. Belief is a key word in John's Gospel. Belief runs through the Old Testament and New Testament. It's a, and, and belief, when you think about humans, belief is hardwired in us. Whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, everyone has a belief structure. Everyone has a worldview structure, a belief structure. So what you believe about the world will shape how you live. Everyone has that. If you believe that we are just on this planet, evolved out of the soup to then go back into the soup, if you believe that there is no God and it's just us and that's all there is, if you believe, therefore, that we are just meat with eyes, that there is no soul, there is no moral compass outside of someone who just gets to decide what is the law and then we change our minds next year or the next nation... If that's your belief structure, it will shape how you live. Look, the most consistent atheists I know become nihilists. Why? Because if there's no God, there's no point. Your belief structure shapes how you live. 
in John's gospel, belief is so important. John 3.16, key verse. Any Christian could tell you that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, Jesus wants you to believe. Could you believe that Jesus even uses your life, your difficulties, your trials, even your death for his glory? Let me talk to Reforming Church for a moment. I know some of you suffer in various ways and forms. James writes trials of various kinds. But some of us can easily start to be tempted to resent God because of trials. But is it possible, looking at Lazarus and how Jesus does what he does for our belief, is it possible that even in our trials, he uses our trials for our belief in him? Is that possible? We have to say yes. We have a choice. We can either resent God or glorify him through whatever happens in our lives. And in glorifying God, that's where the joy begins. Glorifying him and enjoying him forever starting now. Remember this as well, friends. Jesus is not asking you to do what he has not done himself. Jesus experienced all the pain and suffering of trial at the cross. Jesus knows what it is to suffer false accusation, doesn't he? You ever had a false accusation? Lived with that? Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it's like to have his friends all flee. People deny him, betray him. Ever had that? Jesus has. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer acute physical pain. Are you suffering acute physical pain? Jesus understands. And Jesus knows what it's like to suffer humiliation and die without dignity. Jesus understands. And he speaks to our belief. The second thing he does, he speaks to our grief. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. He comes to Bethany to visit the grave of his friend Lazarus. And as he approaches Bethany, Martha first goes out to meet him. Martha goes out. Mary stays at home. And Martha meets Jesus and says, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. Martha expresses her dismay in her grief. If only you had to come earlier. If you had been here with us, you can heal the sick. I know you can. Lazarus would not have died. Yet even then, even in her loss and grief, she still goes to Jesus, doesn't she? Can you? Yes. In your loss and grief, you can cry to Jesus in prayer. You can express your grief because he can absorb it. He's big enough, friends. He's God. He can take you on that shoulder. And as she goes to Jesus, what does he do? He feeds her faith, her belief, even in the small way that she can accept. Because she says, verse 22, even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she thinks the last day, the resurrection day, which many Jews did believe in. The Pharisees didn't. They did. The Sadducees didn't. So the Pharisees, they're big believers in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. That's why they're sad, you see. But lots of Jews believed in the resurrection. 
So she goes straight there. I, I, I know Jesus. I know he's going to be raised in the last day. I miss him now. This is a conversation of consolation. And friends, what do we see here but how deeply theology matters? The theme of theology of resurrection matters. It matters that we're taught today about resurrection for your tomorrow and when your tomorrow ends for your family and friends. It matters that we know what we believe about life and death, that we don't just go to our death thinking, perhaps my family will arrange the footy song at my funeral. It matters. So many people at funerals want me to say at their relatives' funeral, who's never given a second thought to God, they want me to say, the minister, the magic man somehow, you're going to say that, he's, that that person's now in heaven, aren't you? I will not. It matters that you engage with God now, today. It mattered for Martha. Theology matters, friends. What you know and believe and understand about God that you rely upon. And as Jesus meets with Martha, that theme of resurrection, she needs to hold on to it in her heart. She needs to know it's true. And this brings consolation to her. And yet Jesus has more this day. He gives one of those great I am statements. They're all throughout John's gospel. John's gospel's got signs, depending how you count them. Six or seven signs that point to who he is, but it's also got these I am statements. And here is another one. The I am statement comes from, we understand, it's, it's actually a way of saying God's name, or, you know, it's a revealing of God. So Moses famously meets God in the burning bush. And what does God say out of that burning bush? He says to Moses, I am who I am. Moses says, what's your name? If I tell people, I am who I am, or I'll be who I'll be. In other words, his name is a verb. He's an active God. I am. I exist. It is I am who sent you. Jesus picks up that language and he says, I'm God. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her a question. Do you believe this? Jesus shows us he isn't just teaching about the resurrection. He's not just a guru with the religious information about resurrection. He is the resurrection. He is the life. The very embodiment of the power of God to raise people from the dead is him. And he speaks to her belief and our belief and her grief and our grief. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The son of God is coming into the world. And then Mary comes along. Mary, who'd been at home, she comes along and notice what she says in verse 32, word for word, what Martha had said. Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus sees and feels people's grief. Because then we see verse 33. It's when Jesus sees Mary weeping and the Jews, the friends who'd come with her weeping, and we read there in verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You might have a footnote in your Bibles at that point that says, where it says greatly troubled, it might say a little footnote at the bottom, indignant. It could be translated indignant, it's, it's, it's angry. It doesn't take much 
to see Jesus love people, but it's, it's a rarity that Jesus gets angry, but here he gets angry, and what is he angry at? He's angry at death. Jesus sees death in this world and what it does to us and how it disfigures us and dehumanizes us and it takes from us, it grieves us, it haunts us, hurts us and and hunts us. It's a parasite and he's angry. He's angry at death. He's angry in how it hurts people. And John Calvin says in his commentary, what he does is now gears up for battle. Jesus says, that's it. Gloves off. And he says, verse 34, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And as he goes, verse 35, shortest verse in the English Bible, verse 35, two words, Jesus wept. He weeps angry tears, indignant tears. He weeps. It's the shortest verse in the English Bible. There's other short verses in Greek and Hebrew, and we can get into that later. But in the English Bible, shortest verse, and yet profoundly encompasses, encapsulates how he feels about the situation. And then verse 36, we see their response. The Jews said, see how he loved him. In life and death, Jesus loves this person. Belief and grief are so closely connected in what we believe and how we live because we look at how Jesus loves us. Jesus doesn't leave us in the lurch in our pain. He comes to love us and he understands our grief because he is with us this means for our counselling we can do the same when we care for others and counsel them we grieve with them as we speak the words of hope with them as well but remember Jesus Jesus had said earlier, this does not lead to death. Why does he say that? Because if you know him, friends, you could write that on your gravestone. Isn't that weird, but it's true? If you know Jesus and you know the resurrection to come on the last day of all time, you could write on your gravestone with a a smiley, winky face at the end if you wished, an emoji. This does not lead to death. This is not the end. And at that point, Jesus who speaks to our belief, who speaks to our grief, now speaks for our life. Verse 38, Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And then with a picture of what's to come, an Easter egg of what's to come, and later in this series, take away the stone, roll that stone away. And they say, he's been dead four days. But then Jesus, as they roll away the stone, lifted his eyes and prays. And he says to his Father in heaven, I'm doing this so they may believe, verse 42. And then he speaks for Lazarus' life, verse 43. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Jesus speaks to a four-day dead man and commands him to live. Charles Spurgeon says in, in, in his writings about this passage, it's one of those things that's a bit quirky and funny. Charles Spurgeon says, the reason Jesus uses Lazarus's name is because if he hadn't of, everyone would just rise. 
That's the power in the one who is the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. Now, we live in a world, sadly, of Christian quackery. So if you've heard of churches or you've been on YouTube, there's this thing called YouTube, you can just watch all day. You can see videos of so-called churches, so-called preachers raising dead people to life. You don't have to scratch under the surface very far to see how fake that is and how much quackery is involved and how much it hurts people. Because even in the Bible, when Elijah and Elisha see people raised to life, they're only dead from moments. This is four days dead. This is very dead, on the point of decaying dead. This is what no one else can do. Of course, Lazarus will die in this life, but he has had a foretaste of something better to come, a new, risen, resurrected body. And how can he have that assurance? Because the poison that killed Lazarus, the poison that kills you and I, well, it, it might be a, the symptom is cancer, or it's a heart attack, or it's what we call old age. But the real, the real poison is sin. The stinger, the sting of death, 1 Corinthians 15, is sin. The reason there is death, the reason there is grief is because of sin. Death is present, it pervades the whole world, and so sin is so awful and destructive. God said back, remember I called the worship Isaiah 25? God said in Isaiah 25 that he is going to swallow up this shadow that's cast over all nations. What is that shadow? It's death, the shadow of death. And how's he going to do that? Isaiah 25, he's going to take away the reproach of his people. He's going to take away sin. He's going to deal with the sin problem. God will take away sin, which leads to death. The Lord has spoken to say he's going to do it. So friends, as we finish and before we turn to the table of the Lord, what could possibly be our only comfort in life and death now? What is your only comfort in life and death? In a moment, we are going to share communion in the Lord's Supper. We'll sing and then we'll share communion and have church lunch. But as you'll hear, the Lord's Supper is for those who believe. So we don't take the Lord's Supper because it's a bit of magic juice and magic bread and somehow it makes us more right with God. No, we take it because we believe in Jesus. So if you're not a believer in Jesus yet, perhaps you're considering that, I would love to talk with you. I know I seem pretty full on from the pulpit, but I'm actually a very shy person. So I plant myself down the entrance there. So at least I can say hi, bye. But if you want to talk, let's grab a table. Let's grab a coffee. Let's talk this week. Let's talk about you and Jesus. I'm happy to shout your favorite beverage and read the Bible with you. We're women who can do that with women as well. So men and women, come and talk with us. Teenagers, talk with us. Because Jesus is speaking to you now. From his word, he's speaking to you. And he says to you, if your life is currently being without Jesus, life apart from Jesus, what does that lead to? It does lead to death forever. See, life apart from Jesus means you have no comfort in life and death.
There is no eternal joy, no eternal life, just darkness, grief, loss and wrath forever and ever without end. Jesus himself says in John 8, I told you you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is your future without Jesus. But if you turn to Jesus and trust him, if you believe with your life upon him and his life, gone to the cross for you, his death in your place, his resurrection for your hope, then you have every comfort in life and death. See, Jesus is the only one who cut through the curse of death with his own voice. Jesus, the same one who, with his voice, speaks the universe into existence, the same one who speaks you and I into existence in our mother's womb, he knit us together, is the same one who will speak the final judgment for all, and is the same one who spoke to you in the scriptures today. It is the same Jesus, and he's calling you now. You heard his voice, and he said this, I'm the resurrection and the life. Question, do you believe this? If you'd like to find out more, talk through. Maybe you have objections or questions. I'd love to hear them. Let's start today. And for those of us who do believe in Jesus, we're going to sing a song. Christ, our hope in life and death. We need to believe that he's our hope. Many of us here struggle with many things. Me included. Many of us struggle to believe we can be free from past failures or present ones, don't we? Many of us seem to can't live things down. and We can't feel like we can truly live free comforted knowing that Christ is for us but we here's our struggle we need to believe believe that he is our comfort in life and death he was raised Romans 4:25 for our justification and so we get to come to Jesus now with our failure our shame our fear our frustration even our grief in all its teary gut-wrenching cries We get to come to Jesus who absorbs our pain. Now we get to not be bullied by sin and death, but liberated like we're meant to be. We get to actually plan our own funerals, testifying to the hope we have in Christ. Because one day, friends, we get to close our eyes in death and then open them in new life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Help us in our grief. Be our comfort in life and death. And we pray for many, perhaps even here, that who need to see Jesus and believe that they would. That by the power that raises people from the dead, you would raise their eyes of faith to trust in Jesus. And we ask this in his name powerful name. Amen.